the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. door was it again? It's been so long since I was in this formation. Two centuries to be precise. Ah, Alexander. Wonderful to see you again. Are you well? I would be better if I was out of this dark prison. Oh, I suppose you would be, yes. I've had a lot of time to reflect, Jimmy. I would like to strike a bargain for my freedom. <laughs> and what is it you think you can offer? You have no possessions to speak of. And your mind, well, let's just say, if it isn't mush already, it hasn't had much stimulation to enrich it with information to offer. <laughs> I think you were selling me short, mate. I have that which is your richest currency. Oh, what is that? Tales of darkness and horror, of course. Well, that is true. I can't walk away from a juicy tale. <laughs> mm, okay. But the price is five. Five tales for your freedom. Fair? Agreed. Why don't you have a seat? These are not for the faint of heart. They are from my home country in Australia. The Dark Hearts. Let us begin. Angel Wings. Written by Deborah Sheldon. It had kicked off this afternoon. David, together with about 7 billion other people, recognised it as the beginning of the end, the literal end of the world. This cataclysm didn't involve the top three predictions of nuclear war, asteroid strike, or pandemic. It was something unexpected by all, apart from, say, a few kooky fringe-dwelling cults. An invasion of angels. Millions upon millions of angels. Not the serene, buteous, human with celestial wings type, but the biblically correct type, monstrous abominations. A few hours ago, which in Melbourne had been a mild and sunny Saturday, they had descended from the heavens in hordes, a vast legion of screeching, furious and bloodthirsty avengers, hell-bent on butchering every single person in every single country across the entirety of the planet. And nobody knew why. Maybe humanity would never know. That's what David surmised, 
he stared out the car window at the chaos, tears on his cheeks, and figured the human race would be slaughtered quickly, efficiently, wiped out by tomorrow night at the latest without explanation. Maybe these mutant bird-like things were aliens instead of angels. The internet's opinion seemed divided. So what? A moot point. Extinction was imminent either way. David scrolled through the newsfeed on his phone. More annihilation and destruction from across the globe. Next. He checked for but didn't find any messages from Grandma. Or his cousins, aunts, uncles. No replies from the friends he'd texted en masse from the camping store. He put the phone in his pocket and surreptitiously wiped at his nose. You right, kid? The driver said. An older woman who reminded him of mum. Oh. Sure, he said. Yeah, I'm just fucking great. Then he swallowed and shook his head. I'm sorry. Look, I'm... Thanks for picking me up, okay? Really appreciate it. Sorry. No worries. What's your name, kid? David. I'm Millie. Guy in the back is Yanis, my neighbour. Yanis sat forward and offered his hand. David glanced around to shake. Yanis had dark eyes, dark eyebrows, a mop of dark hair thinning at the front, a sallow complexion. Your mouth is still bleeding, Yanis said. Did you lose a tooth? A tooth? With an anxious jolt, David felt around his gums. Blood from his lacerated cheek and lips pulsed over his probing fingertips. Although an incisor wobbled, his upper and lower teeth were intact. He felt a wave of relief. Considering how much mum and dad had spent on braces, they would be devastated if... Then David remembered mum and dad were dead and wouldn't be feeling anything ever again. He turned away. <laughs> Millie and Yanis said nothing as he cried. <laughs> Finally, hiccuping, David wiped his face on his t-shirt and looked about. Millie was steering around a motorcycle lying on its side. No sign of the rider. Probably carried away by talons to be shredded, like a hot roast chicken, on a rooftop somewhere. Oh fuck. Oh god. In the quarter hour David had been a passenger in Millie's Subaru, they'd passed wrecks and abandoned cars, vehicles on fire, litters of ruined corpses road-raging brawlers, people running, the occasional swoop of angels shrieking like a discordant orchestra of untuned violins, horns sounding constantly from the traffic. Millie had to be cautious at intersections because drivers, panicking, tended to ignore red lights. The carnage continued up Burwood Highway as far as the eye could see. On the hill's crest sat a gridlock. What would Millie do then? try for the side streets? David watched the pedestrians thronging the footpaths and road lanes, watched them dodging corpses, traffic, smashed vehicles. Where did they think they were going? How far did they believe they could get on foot? Some were armed. Golf clubs, baseball bats, cricket bats, knives. Most carried suitcases, boxes, backpacks, children, pets. Like characters from a war film, a middle-aged woman struggled with a birdcage, the budgerigar within clinging to its wildly swinging perch. Houses weren't safe. Angels could tear up roof tiles. Cars weren't safe either. 
but every now and again a pedestrian would storm Millie's Subaru, pounding at the windows, plead or demand to be let in. Millie always drove on, gaze forward, blind and deaf. David rubbed his eyes. In the distance a giant flock of angels swarmed the sky, pulsing, forming shapes in the air like starlings or schooling fish. A mesmeric sight if you didn't realise the danger. The angels hovered over Melbourne City, because that's where people were congregating. Specifically, at the Sport and Entertainment Precinct, with its many venues including Rod Laver Arena and the Margaret Court Arena, both with their retractable roofs now closed according to news reports. The precinct's buildings were being repurposed into evacuation centres, getting kitted out with first aid stations, cot beds, soup kitchens, and already protected by the military. City skylines shone with traces, explosions, flamethrowers. David found himself smiling, jaws clenched. Well, he had to hand it to the Australian federal and state governments. Primed by yearly bushfires, they'd leapt into action pretty damn quick. But other places around the world, eh, not so much. The bulk of 7 billion people were apparently fending for themselves and coming off second best. Millie's destination was the sport and entertainment precinct. Failing that, the other main evacuation site, the Melbourne Exhibition Centre, that triplet of vast warehouse-sized buildings standing side by side, colloquially known as Jeff's Shed, after the former Victorian Premier Jeff Kennett. Perhaps David would find relatives or friends there. Maybe. He checked his phone again for texts, sent a few more of his own, stared at the blank screen. Millie hunched over the steering wheel to squint at the swarm. Do you reckon some of the pricks are getting closer? I don't know, David said, voice quiet and flat. I guess we'll see. He reached into the footwell to touch the handles of his machetes. Imagined killing an angel, its half-dozen feathered wings falling apart as he hacked through its central nub, the spark of its multiple eyes clouding and snuffing out. It looks like you got attacked back in that car park, David, Giannis said. Did you? Yeah, kid, what happened? Millie said. Do you think you can tell us now? David again pressed his t-shirt to his bleeding mouth, wiped away tears, cleared his throat. <clears throat> Nothing happened, really, he said. I went to the camping store to buy a couple of machetes for protection. When I came out, some guy punched me and stole my keys. Oi, cockhead, give me your car. Huh? Give me a fucking car, cockhead. Now. Right now. David had frozen. He was 20 years old, ducks of his high school. Recipient of a tertiary scholarship. Lived at home with his parents. Spent most of his time studying or playing computer games. Didn't smoke or drink. Had never been in an encounter even remotely like this in his entire life and couldn't comprehend fast enough what was going on. Stunned, he stared at the man. Perhaps in his forties, the man was sweaty and red-faced, as if he'd been running. David wanted to explain that his mum and dad had just been killed. Gardening, they had sent him to the hardware store for liquid fertiliser. On his return, David had witnessed a dozen hellspawn monsters in a frenzied and vulturine pack, threshing at bloodied lumps on the lawn. What the fuck? The monsters were identical. Brown-feathered, two-legged, multi-eyed, six-winged, 
flat and round with a two meter diameter like a giant dinner plate, reminiscent of an owl, but only if you looked at a slice of it through the mirror of a kaleidoscope. And Jesus, their air splitting shrieks. The sky was dark, dotted, chock full of blowflies or wasps or bees, some kind of insect. Then the shapes got closer, larger, and David recognized them as more monsters dropping from the heavens, dropping in their thousands upon thousands. And those mutilated bloodied lumps on the lawn were mum and dad. David let out a long, plaintive, guttural wail. Two monsters stopped rending his parents and flew talons first at his car. David, still screaming, punched the remote for the garage door. The door shuttered open. Three more monsters flew out, scraping and slashing at the car, claws tearing the metal. They had got inside the house. By the roof? Yes. Tiles were smashed as if boulders had hit. Paralyzed, overwhelmed, David froze even as claws pierced the cabin. He could smell the monsters now, a sharp, caustic stink like hot electronics. In the next second, gasping, he reversed, executed a frantic U-turn and sped away, sobbing. The angels lost either their grip or their interest. David tried to ring grandma, other relatives, friends, switched on the radio as he drove aimlessly and fast listened in shaking and shivering shock to the news of the angel invasion of biblically correct angels happening simultaneously all around the world. Drove to the strip shopping center to buy weapons from the camping store, the floor packed with people freaking out. Managed to grab a couple of machetes, standing at the checkout, waiting and waiting, staff hopelessly outnumbered. He tried again to contact relatives, friends, then decided to just steal the fucking machetes, for Christ's sake. Become a thief for the first time in his life, and raced outside to his car. Right, cockhead, fuck ya, that's it. David had never been punched before. Pain exploded in his head like a grenade. Didn't remember falling, yet there he was, sprawled on the asphalt, looking up, incredulous because the sweaty red-faced man was opening the driver's door of David's car. David tried to yell, no, that was his VW Golf. A birthday present from his parents that was meant to span his 18th to his 25th. Mum and dad had helped him choose it from the dealership. This asshole could not, should not, must not take David's car. But the asshole did. David sat up, howling as the golf backed out of the parking space and tore away, bumping and jumping over concrete wheel stops and dividers, skidding onto the road. That's my car, David shouted to no one in particular, to no one who gave a damn, because people at the strip shopping center were running and yelping and fighting. David remembered the two machetes and picked them up. Staggering to his feet, he wondered what to do. A swarm of angels landed on the roof of the camping store. They made a hissing noise like cats. Each one had dozens of eyes along its six wings staring greedily at the stampeding humans below. One angel fixed its gaze on David and narrowed its multitude of eyes, pinned its multitude of pupils. David lifted both machetes, screaming through clenched jaws, ready for whatever was to come next. And what came next was a white Subaru. 
and he pulled up next to him, the front passenger door flinging open. The driver had yelled, Kid, get in! And David obeyed without thinking. There had been a man in the back seat, Millie and Yanis, two strangers, stepping in to save his life. Ah, forget about your car. Millie said now after David fell silent. At least you're alive. What made you stop for me? She glanced over, both eyes smudged with ruined mascara. You look like my son. David hesitated. So, is he... Dead? She hunched her shoulder, tightened her grip on the wheel. Yeah. I'm sorry. Ah, we'll all be dead soon. This whole planet is one gigantic sinking ship. David turned to Yanis and said, How come you weren't sitting up here in front? Why? Because of this. Yanis pointed at his legs, extended along the bench seat. One thigh appeared held together with a knotted, blood-soaked jumper. He shrugged at David's alarm. It is what it is. I'll probably bleed out before we get to an evacuation center. Oh, come on. We'll be there in no time. Trying to think positive for once. Positive thinking leads to inaction and failure to perform. No, I'd rather be a realist. (laughs) You mean a pessimist? Press your hands against the wound. That'll work better than a tourniquet. The car appeared as a red streak in the corner of David's vision, traveling fast, shooting into the intersection before he could utter a warning. The red car hit the Subaru broadside on its boot, sending both vehicles airborne, twirling them in a padadoo towards the other side of the road. David felt momentarily weightless, separating. The red car punched against the post of a traffic light. The Subaru touched down and rolled, windscreen shattering, then landed upright, joggled on its tyres, the deployed airbags farting a little as they deflated, white powder dusting the air of the cabin. A few seconds passed. Ears ringing, David got his bearings. One machete was still in the footwell, the other had pierced the seat alongside him, buried to the hilt. Fuck. Those blades must be sharp. He pulled out the machete. Is everybody okay? Millie said. Yeah, David said and turned. Yanis. But Yanis was crumpled into a messy ball of tangled limbs, his back to them. Oh shit. He wasn't wearing his seatbelt, was he? Millie stamped the accelerator, wrenched at the steering wheel. The Subaru revved but didn't move. A clacking, whirring noise sounding from somewhere beneath. Traffic crowded them. Horns honking in a cacophonous blare. Across the intersection, the bonnet of the smashed red car showed a few licks of fire. No one had yet got out. We're fucked. Can't move, can't go. We're fucked. The engine revved and revved hard as she stomped the accelerator over and over and over. Black dots in the sky. Angels flew closer. There wasn't much time. Look! David shouted pointing through the remains of the windscreen. Up ahead, in the middle of the highway, at the Vermont South Terminus, sat a tram. A yellow tram with some kind of artwork smeared on its side. All doors open as a few people climbed aboard. The LED destination sign read, Melbourne City. Good boy. We can make it. David unclipped his seatbelt, grabbed the machetes in one hand. Millie jumped out and opened the back door. Yanis lifted his head, 
looking dazed and bloodied. What the hell? My face hurts. Let's go, come on, let's go! David and Millie each took an arm and dragged Giannis towards the tram, while his feet stumbled and his legs kept trailing behind as if boneless. Horns sounded in a discordant symphony. The Subaru's engines revved. David glanced back. A few people had jumped into the Subaru and were trying to drive away. Flames engulfed the red car. Panting, puffing, David focused on the tram, willing the machine to wait. The tram's gonna take off before we get there. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it fucking isn't. God, Giannis was heavy. The accordion doors began to close. Lunging, David reached out. The rubber seals compressed on his wrist and then the doors sprang open. He and Millie hauled Giannis on board and found seats. The doors closed. The tram hummed, shimmied, and with an electric whine began to slip along the rails. They propped Giannis between them. Is he okay? I'm not sure. The jumper nodded about his leg, was soaked in fresh blood. One of his cheeks looked concave. David turned away, ill and faint. The tram picked up speed. Suburban houses on big blocks lined this section of Burwood Highway. He knew it well. This was the route he took daily to Deakin University. Staring at the fences, flowers, lawns, at the ordinary background to this apocalypse. David tried not to vomit. He felt dizzy. Maybe he had a concussion. Someone moved into his line of vision. A bald man wearing glasses and a sneer. Get him off this tram, he was saying, pointing at Giannis. All that blood will attract the angels. <laughs> oh, jeez. You think they're like sharks? Snickered a teenage girl with a nose piercing. Dumb bastard, said the tattooed guy next to her, clasping her hand. How'd you get so old and stay so fucking dumb, you seen old dumbass? Watch your language, said a sharp-faced woman in a supermarket uniform. The tattooed guy stabbed his middle finger at her. Angels attack everybody, said a voice at the front of the tram. No blood required. Get him off this tram, we don't want to attract their attention. Nope, he's not going anywhere, Millie said. Let's take a vote. The bald man looked about at the couple of dozen exhausted, frightened passengers. A baby was crying, grizzling into its mother's chest. Mate, you'd better pull your head in, because I swear to Christ, I'm just about ready to lose my shit. I want him off this tram. He's a bucket of burly. A pregnant woman stood up and shouted. If you don't like it, you can leave. All of you's chill, the teenage girl said. He's pissing blood. He'll die soon anyway. The supermarket worker gasped. Ah, so callous. Such a failed generation. Shameful. Oh yeah? Shut your dick holster, bitch! Right, that's it, grunted the bald man decisively, charging at Giannis as if to grab him. David leapt up and shoved hard. The bald man staggered, caught a pole to steady himself, then goggled at David's left hand, which happened to be wielding both machetes upright as if ready to strike. Funny, David didn't recall brandishing them. Stifled shrieks and exclamations sounded. Leave him alone, David said. Go and sit down. Go on. 
take your fucking seat. Flushing pink, staring about for backup and finding none, the bald man obeyed. David sat, trembling. Blood slicked the length of Yanis's trouser leg. His shoe was wet. A red puddle had formed about his shoe. Can we tie the jumper a bit tighter around his thigh? David whispered. Millie gazed at him with a sad, gentle smile. I don't think it would make much difference. A bell sounded. From overhead speakers, the tram driver shouted, Brace! Brace! What's happening? The impact threw everyone from their seats. The tram stalled, whined, struggled on amidst graunching, wrenching noises. People got up. Some ran to the front to crowd the windows. David and Millie manhandled Yarnas, a dead weight, back into his seat. The cushions were saturated with his blood. Metal continued to shriek as the cram trepped forward. Smashed cars on the line. The driver's trying to push through. We get stuck or die. We won't get stuck. Do you know how heavy a tram is? Holy Mary, Mother of God, help us in this. Who are you praying to? I can't stand this. No, God's angels are the ones attacking us, you fucking idiot. Millie gripped David's hand. I'll make sure we're okay, kid. Promise. David nodded and stared into her blue eyes, reminded again of Mum, of her no-nonsense grit and cool head in a crisis. Oh shit. How could Mum be dead? The metal-on-metal sounds ceased. Tram picked up speed. Passengers cheered. We're through the blockage, the tram driver announced. Out of the windows, David glimpsed a mangled ute, an upside-down station wagon. After Springvale Road, the lanes on each side narrow from three to two. I know. Or just one if there's parked cars. There'll be so many prangs up ahead. Well, then we'll ride this thing as far as we can and figure shit out when we need to. Between them, Yanis was slumped with his eyes closed, face as wide as raw dough. David didn't want to look at him anymore. Then David's phone beeped with an incoming text. Fumbling, relieved and joyous, he took the phone from his pocket. It was Kelly, a friend from high school. At Rod Lever with Gabby Kyle Taylor, you okay? Heart thrumming, fingers trembling, David replied, yep, see you soon. Relative? No, a mate. A buncher at Rod Laver Arena. Let's head there. What a about your family and friends. Did you lose your phone? Go on, use mine. She tightened her mouth. The only person I cared about was my son. David didn't know what to say, so he looked out the window. The tram was approaching Springvale Road. How far would they get before they hit an insurmountable block? As it turned out, another 17 kilometres. At the T intersection of Punt Road, on the eastern fringe of the city, the journey had taken nearly two hours. Tram had shoved through every obstacle, and the driver kept stopping to pick up more passengers. If someone deserved an Australian of the Year award, it was this bloke. How many lives had he saved? 70? 80? It was summer, and the air inside the tram became increasingly dank, hot, and moist. Despite lively debate, Nobody knew why angels hadn't attacked the tram. 
One theory was the overhead lines. Perhaps angels were scared of entangling themselves or getting electrocuted. Whatever the case, the passengers could finally relax. The tram's insurmountable block, occurring at Punt Road, happened to be a crush of cars mashed into a jackknifed six-axle semi-trailer. The truck must have shot the red light. End of the line, said the driver's voice over the speakers. This is the end of the line. The accordion doors opened. A few people began disembarking. David looked out the window and his guts shriveled at the sight of circling, swooping angels. Wait, don't leave, stop, yawned Millie. We're safer inside the tram. Safe from angels, yeah, but not from thirst and starvation. Let's just wait for the authorities to come get us. What authorities? Millie said. When? The entire world is under siege. You think the military is going to single out this particular tram for rescue? What makes us so special? Outside, people began screaming. Like touch paper, fright lit the remaining passengers. Many stampeded, scrumming each other to disembark into the grip of angels. The angels were everywhere. Ripping. Tearing. Thronging. One appeared at an open door. Kid, get down! Hide under the seats! Too late. The angel pulled in its wings, caught up the steps. Once inside the tram, David could see the sharp, cruel beak protruding from its central nub and smell its hot electrical stink. The screaming of passengers intensified. The angel spread its six wings, opened its beak, pecked at the nearest somebody. A man in a suit who erupted into a fountain of blood. Mum and Dad. As David remembered his parents lying mutilated on the lawn, a kind of red mist descended and he was already slashing and stabbing with both machetes at the hellish multitude of eyes. Feathers flew. The central nub sliced as easily as rare steak. Wings fell away. The exposed meat stringy, dry, bloodless. What was left of the angel staggered and fell back through the open doorway. David leaned over the prone man in a suit. Mister! Mister, can you hear me? Intestines convulsed in a messy, steaming pile next to the man's body. Come on! Millie yelled, pushing at the small of David's back. Go! Let's go! He came to his senses. More angels had boarded the tram. Millie shoved David outside. Chaos. He blinked at the beating of countless wings, at the inhuman shrieking, the human wails, blatting of horns, boom of artillery. Gasping, he threw back his head, high in the sky. What were those things? Zigzagging above clouds were round, golden, glittering shapes. At such a height, those shapes must be massive, a hundred meters in circumference, each one a ring within a ring. David remembered from Sunday school. Ezekiel's wheel. So out of all the religious texts written through history, the Old Testament had turned out to be the winner. Or would that be the Torah? Both had mentioned Ezekiel's wheel, hadn't they? Kids, snap out of it! Millie said, dragging at him. Run! But to where? Where? David followed her, past the blocked tram, through the intersection with its muddled crash of twisted semi-trailer and cars. Around them, people sprinted, 
fought, brawled, lay dead and dying. Ammunition fired. Angels dove, mobbed and ripped. Nearby, an abandoned car sat on the road, all doors open. Millie jumped in the driver's side and shouted, Kid! As he dashed over, he impulsively grabbed at a woman carrying two children and bundled her into the back seat. He took the front passenger side, dropping the machetes in the footwell as Millie stamped on the accelerator. The Rod Laver Arena was just three kilometres north along Punt Road. In the back seat, the mother panted. The little girl whimpered and the boy, aged about five, gazed blankly at nothing with a slack and drooling jaw. It's all right, David said to them. We're nearly at an evacuation centre. Millie gave him a proud smile. Well done. David felt good until he realised that he had stolen a car like the sweaty red-faced man who had stolen David's golf. Swings and roundabouts. Hopefully, the sweaty red-faced man had found safety. Next, David thought of poor Yanis, left behind on the tram. Remembered his words. This whole planet is one gigantic sinking ship and felt hopeless, bleak. He pressed both hands to his ears against the noise and wondered if he was about to go mad. Millie, teeth bared, drove fast. Too fast. An angel dropped down in front of them. Millie accelerated and ran it over, pulverizing it in a sea of broken wings, crunching the monster beneath the wheels. Bump, bump, bump. The tires momentarily losing traction. Oh shit, David said, gripping the dashboard. Hey, don't wreck the car. I know what I'm doing. They approached the line of tanks, trucks, a roadblock, armed soldiers. A barricade was moved aside and a soldier waved them through. Millie drove to the northern entrance of the Rodlaver Arena via Olympic Boulevard and unerringly to the entrance reserved for disabled visitors, which made David wonder about her son. She parked right up against the doors. They got out and pulled the mother with her two children from the back seat. Young military guys, army reserve by the looks of the uniforms, kitted out with rifles and looking scared half to death, admitted them into the building. David expected his machetes would be confiscated, but they weren't. David and Millie were given a bottle of water, an aluminium bowl, roll of toilet paper, a toothbrush kit like the kind you get on aeroplanes. People were dotted around the stands. Below, cot beds filled the tennis court. From outside came the constant boom of artillery. An old white-haired woman with a clipboard approached and said, Oh, you look all done in. Feel like having a kip? She led them down a set of stairs and onto the court, through an aisle, along a row, and pointed at two cot beds side by side. Dinner at seven, she said, writing on her clipboard. I'll be back soon to take your details. Then she walked away. David looked around. Hey, where did the mother and her kids go? They're here somewhere. Safe. Because of you. The place held numb, listless, hushed people. No noises apart from artillery. Tired beyond measure, David lay on his cop bed. He'd never been inside the Rodlaver arena before. Metal strips comprised the closed, retractable roof. Millie patted his shoulder. We'll be okay now. Didn't I promise? Tears pricked David's eyes and he smiled. Yeah, 
overcome by fatigue, terror and grief, managed to doze off despite the constant sound of explosions. Sometime later, Millie shook his leg. Sitting up, groggy, he saw a man pushing what resembled a hot dog cart. For a moment, David thought he was still dreaming. Dinner, two ladles of soup, dinner. Yes, please. You're very kind. Present your bowls, no spoons, sip from the bowl. Minestrone or chicken noodle? Chicken noodle, thanks. Same. They held out their bowls and the man doled out the food. Pushed the cart. Dinner, two ladles of soup, dinner. When will you look for your friends? Millie said. David glanced around the arena and felt a deep, shivering exhaustion. I don't know. A raucous banging started overhead. They jumped, startled. The roof. People began to scream, run around, scramble. Yet there was nowhere to go. David and Millie dropped their bowls. The banging on the roof intensified. They gaped at the rippling metal, at the steel girder ribs that started to buckle and cave. The angels were breaking through. Not the six-winged angels, no, but the huge and heavy wheel inside wheel type. David gave Millie a machete and said, I think we're fucked this time. Yeah, me too. Well, guess I'll see you on the other side. The banging went on. The metal dented, ballooned, split. The screaming of people reached a fever pitch. David and Millie brandished their machetes. Together, they stared at the holes driven into the roof by the wheel angels. Watched as the holes opened up as the six-winged angels fought and clawed their way inside. David closed his eyes for a moment, psyching himself, getting ready to fight or die, getting ready for whatever was to come next. And what came next happened to be the literal end of the world. You've been listening to The Dark Heart, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Angel Wings was written by Deborah Sheldon. It will feature in her upcoming collection published by IFWG Publishing in February 2022 and is titled Liminal Spaces Horror Stories. Award-winning author Deborah Sheldon writes short stories, novellas and novels across the darker spectrum of horror, crime and noir. Visit her at debrasheldon.wordpress.com. The characters David, Mugger, and Tram Driver were performed by James Barnett. Millie was performed by Sarah Jane Justice. Yanis and Food Guy were performed by Zane Pinner. Bald Man was performed by Brian Jeans. Teenage Girl, Tram Rider, and Pregnant Woman were performed by Nina Nikolic. Tattooed Guy was performed by Scott Davidson. Supermarket Woman was performed by Jenny Barnett. White-Haired Woman was performed by Natalie Baran. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. If you aren't already aware, Night Zen has released a horror-themed apparel line called Stay Horrific. There are horror-themed t-shirts, mugs, dresses, socks, all the good stuff. 
go and check it out now. Stayhorrific.com You can also support The Night's End on Patreon to receive bonus content and merch. Head to patreon.com forward slash Night's End Podcasts and sign up for as little as $1 a month. And as always, stay horrific everyone.